a lot of people, when they think about video, they think like, oh, I'm just gonna sit down in front of the camera and I need to get it all done in one take. And, and because of that, they sit down, they ramble for a long time and they hope that the people, their audience is going to retain that. And no one is able to retain that kind of conversation. Like in podcast form, right? We're free flowing, we're going between things. It works a lot easier. But with videos, especially learning videos, you need to make sure that it's super clear what the takeaways are along the way. So at the beginning of the video, I always say in this video, we are talking about X, Y, and Z. So whether it's a course video, whether it's a YouTube video, any kind of video, I always like to say that at the beginning. Hi, I'm Manya, the host of Your Greatest Work podcast. This is a show for course creators and thought leaders who are creating a learning experience for their audience. I'm going to help you in this podcast by bringing on guest speakers and having great discussions with people from around the world on how to create really amazing learning experiences that get great results for learners. That's what we're here for, right, folks? Well, enjoy this next episode. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. I'm so excited that you're my guest today because you bring a wealth of technical knowledge to course creators. And to be honest, you were really instrumental in some of my own recent course creation journey because I was always pretty intimidated to attack video creation. It just seemed like it was a lot of work. There'd be a ton of setup. And although I dabbled in video editing, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I had this nerve wracking feeling that it wouldn't be good enough. But after taking part in your program, I learned everything I needed to know about doing it myself. So I just want to give you a little personal plug and a thank you for your course, because it was really impactful for me. And it helped give me a lot of confidence to create my own video content. So Thank awesome. you. And thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks for sharing that part of the story too. So video doesn't have to be hard, right? It can be easy. <laughs> yeah, it can be easy. And I'm also looking forward to your new module about outsourcing video because I do feel like there aren't quite enough hours in my day to do all the parts, but it certainly is helpful to know what to do so that it makes me better at planning out my videos and creating my videos so that they're going to be more engaging. And I think that's just an added toolkit in my course creator mm -hmm. toolbox and a very valuable tool for a lot of my listeners. So Absolutely. I'm hoping we can really get into the weeds on video today. Let's do it. Amazing. <laughs> so your course, the DIY video roadmap was definitely full of lots of video. So tell me a little bit more about how you use video in your courses and programs. What are you using it to portray? Is this, you know, to just set expectations or do you use it for more than that? Right. So I had previously created another course that was primarily just my voice with slides, which everyone says is so much easier. And that ended up being so much work for me. I did not enjoy that method because I had to create a ton of slides. Right. Um, true. So I found it this time when I was creating this course, almost all of it is what we call talking head videos. So that's kind of the typical word for it, where you're just sitting in front of the camera, talking to the camera. 
And if I need to add text in, I could always add that text in in post-production. So by doing it this way, I was able to just focus on what am I actually saying in the videos? And I don't have to even fully script them depending on the topic that I'm talking about. I could even, you know, in a very structured way, which is what I teach in my course, have like a very structured outline, but then record the videos without needing to have it be scripted. So that saves you a lot of time when you're actually creating the course content and filming the videos. And then you can film them in a batch recording and outsource the video editing. Um, so my course is very, very heavy on the video front. It's it's all video, no slides. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do recall that with your course. And I think what makes it such a great vehicle, what makes video such a great tool for the topic you're teaching is that you can also really seamlessly switch back and forth between showing your screen and showing processes as you're teaching people how to use certain software and systems. So you can make those nice clean switches um, in your editing, right? Um, So you can add that variety in and really give great demonstrations of your tool. Yeah. And that is one thing I guess I didn't say. I, I do a ton of screen recording. So whenever it is teaching the editing side of it, it's pretty much just the screen and me talking through it in real time. So yeah, that's definitely another element of it. Yeah. And um, just to get a little bit technical, because people always like to know the what, what do you use to capture your screen when you're recording? Because there's a number of tools. I like using Camtasia, but what do you use? Yeah. So I'm a little bit of an odd one out when it comes to what tool I use, including the company. So Camtasia has a little sister or a little brother called Snagit. And Snagit records your screen. It's primarily a, a system documentation processing tool, I guess. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the way that that's, um, but I got it purely just to record the screen. And the reason that I prefer that over Camtasia or ScreenFlow or anything like that is because I am editing in Premiere Pro. So with Snagit, very quick, record the screen, save the video file, Versus, and then I can immediately import it into Premiere Pro versus Camtasia, where you hit record and then you're going to have to export that video in order to take it into Premiere Pro. So that's why I've really fallen in love with Snagit. That's great. Actually, I used Snagit about um, 10 years ago. I started using Snagit when I worked oh, wow. for a big corporate company, and we used to use it a lot. Um, when whenever we were creating on the job guides or process documents, because you could super easily just um, blur things out and draw boxes and arrows and do all of that stuff within Snagit. So yeah, I I forgot, but I have used it a lot, but not with the screen record function. So I might have to revisit that aspect of Snagit. And I'm sure they've updated a lot in 10 years. Yeah. So (laughs) it's really funny because I created, so quick tangent that will come back around, but I always record my videos in for YouTube in one sitting every single month so that I'm not 
I'm big into batch recording mm -hmm. just for efficiency's sake. And so whenever I, I always try to get like four to five videos in. And if I'm coming up on the mark and I'm like, I don't really have all four videos planned. I'll come up with a really easy one that I can kind of throw in to have an extra one. Mm -hmm. And so there was one that I threw in that was really simple about how I use Snagit to record my screen. And TechSmith, the creator of Snagit, reached out to me and was like, hey, you have a really unique case. Like no one is using Snagit for this. Um, and he's like, will you do an update video on it? And I was like, I don't know <laughs> what to use Snagit for outside of this. Like, what do people use it for? And I didn't even know about the process document stuff. So, well, isn't that funny? Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to definitely revisit it um, as I'm creating screen capture videos, because I do do that a lot. And I know a lot of the people who are listening to this also do that because anytime you're making corporate training, um, you're always recording your screen. Yes. So really useful. And um, maybe we can add the link to your Snagit video in the show notes. It might be helpful for people to be able to take a peek at that. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. So what do you think makes a great learning video? Like when you're trying to teach somebody something, what do you always make sure that you include? Great question. I am really, really big into the structure of a video. So if you, a lot of people, when they think about video, they think like, oh, I'm just going to sit down in front of the camera and I need to get it all done in one take. And, and because of that, they sit down, they ramble for a long time and they hope that the people, their audience is going to retain that. And no one is able to retain that kind of conversation. Like in podcast form, right? We're free flowing. We're going between things. It works a lot easier. But with videos, especially learning videos, you need to make sure that it's super clear what the takeaways are along the way. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the video, I always say in this video, we are talking about X, Y, and Z. So whether it's a course video, whether it's a YouTube video, any kind of video, I always like to say that at the beginning, not any kind of video, but specifically learning videos. Mm -hmm. And then I like to break the videos up into either steps or tips or, you know, whatever, any, any kind of, yeah, some kind of bite size. Yes. Um, yeah. Elements. So that they, and within that, you can kind of, like I mentioned before, you don't have to fully script your videos. You can kind of talk on that step, but your audience is, is going to stick with you because they know the major takeaway of that section of the video. So, you know, step one, do this. Now I'm going to explain it in a long form way, but you know, at the end of the day, that's the one thing that you need to do. Yeah, that's great advice. So, and it's a good way to be able to layer in any um, screen text as well, right? So you can yes. show what the takeaways are as you're speaking about them, or you can include them like in the bottom as like a little, um, what do you call that? A tag or a subtitle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially okay. in like learning softwares, right? Like at the if you needed to, like if you wanted to have an accompany, accompanying, wow, that's a hard word to say, accompanying <laughs> uh, PDF, right? That goes along with it to remind people of the steps. You could do that or you could put it in the description, um, but then they could watch the video for the actual longer. Okay. And I think that is such a great little thing that you mentioned. And I wanted to ask you about this. Like 
What kind of supporting tools do you think course creators should be providing in addition to the video to make it something that's useful after the fact? Because a lot of times we watch a video and that's great, but then to actually apply that later on, mm -hmm. it's not always convenient to go back to that video training and rewatch it. And sometimes in a corporate setting, you know, once that course is done, if it's an e-learning or something, you can't really get back to it. So mm. I think that this is a really key point from a learning experience perspective is that we create the right kind of supporting documentation that people have access to outside of a video. Absolutely. So what, what, do you, what do you like to do here that helps support your great video training? So I would say, first off, take it. Let's take a quick step back, right? So I really believe in the iterative process of creating courses. So you're going to create the first one and then over time you can evolve it and change it. Like my course has changed so much since the first time that I launched it and continues to evolve and change. So when you're first creating it, it can feel super overwhelming. Oh my gosh, I have to have the video and I have to have the PDFs that go along with it or anything else that goes along with it. So giving yourself permission for when you first start not to have to have everything perfect. I think that's the first thing that I just want to like make that note um, mm -hmm. just so you don't get overwhelmed. I'm big into reducing overwhelm. So with that though, it is, it, it actually can make your job a lot easier at the same time. If you do think about the accompanying PDFs at the time of creating the course. Mm -hmm. so, so there's kind of both sides right now. I'm going to make the opposite argument. <clears throat> so with that, if you you don't have to say every single thing in your video, you can just point them to the step-by-step -step PDF. So for example, in my outsourcing module that I'm just now adding to the course, I have a PDF that is going to walk people through the process of hiring an editor. So in the video, I talk about the high level steps, but in the PDF, I go into the actual steps, include the job template, include all of that. Um, while that video, it would be really boring to include all of that in the video. That's right. And you can use the video for some of the other components, right? Because when mm -hmm. we think about creating learning, there's sort of three key areas. We're addressing knowledge gaps. Uh, we're addressing skill gaps. And we're also addressing mindset or we're mm. overcoming some attitude or mindset hurdles. So you can, in that way, use your video to tell a story and kind of create maybe an emotional response or give encouragement or address some of the elephant in the room mindset issues. And then yes. you can, um, you know, use it as a way to provide support around that PDF tool, which might have the exercises or like a guide showing the screenshot steps, or I'm just spitballing here, but you know, that is a really great way to be able to take um, one topic and use a couple of tools together um, to create that best learning experience. So you're matching the objectives that you have for the learner with the right activity and the right format. Exactly. So key. And, and I don't know about anyone listening to this, right? Like I am a total course junkie. I take so many courses. I've spent thousands of dollars on them. And I think it's really good to pay attention to how other people are doing it. Like pay attention. What are they saying in the video? What is what support systems are they giving? Like learn 
by not you, the learning experience of taking courses is not just in the content alone, but seeing how other people are doing it. Yeah, that's a great point. And you can definitely cherry pick what you think is working really well and then mm -hmm. try to break that down. Um, and that's, you know, that's definitely one approach to get there, especially if you don't have this like background in learning or in adult education, you know, like not everybody has that as their pathway. Many course creators or entrepreneurs come into this space because they're super great at whatever it is they do at their subject matter. They're an expert in some sort of a topic. And um, so then, you know, through a series of events, they end up creating courses. Mm -hmm. So it is helpful to be able to deconstruct great learning that you are participating in and, and, or I'm, you know, I'm going to just shamelessly plug myself here. You can also work with somebody who does coach you in experience design and can help you map things out. So it's really strong and is going to get your learners that experience you want them to get. Um, so that's also an option, which yeah. It's not like everybody knows that people like myself exist, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> it's sort of like, what do you do? I don't even know. My husband half the time doesn't even know what I do, you know, because it's not like when you were a kid, you dreamed of being um, a learning experience consultant. <laughs> and I think just on that point too, it's really important to like a lot of there's, there's several different approaches to courses, right? There's the people that throw it together. They deliver it live. They put those things live. And now suddenly that's their course. And then you pay, they have amazing marketing and then you get into the course and it's a terrible experience, right? We've all experienced that. That is a pain. And it feels so process. unethical and it feels awful yes. for the rest of us in the industry who, you know, really deeply care about the learners and you can, you don't want to feel duped as a consumer. Most definitely. And so with like one of the things that I've considered recently with the course business, right, there's kind of several different business models within courses too, to where one, you're either doing low, lower ticket kind of courses that don't have as much support, or you turn it into almost more of a high ticket coaching program. Mm -hmm. Well, when you work with someone like yourself, then you can avoid the need to have as much support and that helps you not be the person that needs to be there constantly ask, answering questions, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something to consider of the value of it, I think. Yeah, and that's a good point. And what I found, um, you know, doing my research and talking with entrepreneurs is if you are already producing a lot of great successful launches and your courses are running well, um, or selling well, you don't really have time to take a course and try and figure it out. You just want to sit with an expert who can um, really analyze your program and say, okay, here's the things that we can do to make this thing amazing. And mm -hmm. so I'm really excited as I'm working with um, these, this level of client because the impact is really high to their program. I didn't Absolutely. intend on going into that, but <laughs> <laughs> why not? Naturally, why not? naturally flows, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it's important to talk, continue to talk about the learning experience and using videos in creating a great learning experience. So how can you take that video up a notch and really make sure that it's something that people are 
engaged with and happy to view. So do you have like a few criteria that would take that video and just make it much more consumable or appealing for people? Absolutely. You've mentioned a few things already, but maybe you can expand on that. Yeah. So first and foremost, your audio is more important than your video quality. So if you're going to make an investment, I recommend investing in a microphone, even over a camera. Hmm. So like a lot of people there, you know, that's the first question that they want to ask is like, what camera do I get? But the second that you upgrade your camera from say a webcam or a phone, you're going to be dealing with a lot more technical elements that might get you tripped up in the process uh, versus like, okay, I get a good camera, but now I have a not amazing microphone. That's going to be really hard for people to watch, even if it looks great. Mm -hmm. So I really, really stress the importance of having solid audio. That's um, great advice. Um, do you have like um, a specific um, microphone? Yeah, well, we can link to that sort of a stuff because I know you've got great YouTube videos on what mics to use and all of that. But mm -hmm. when you're creating, so when you're creating that environment, I know lighting is really key. Um, what Lighting other things is, do you suggest yes. so that it's engaging and not distracting for learners? Totally. So, so I think the first thing is the microphone. Then lighting is definitely key for any sort of good video. It needs the more lighting you have, the less grain is going to be in your shot, which just makes the quality a lot better. But then I think the next thing to consider is your background. So design your background, like put a little effort into mm -hmm. what does it look like? What is the, the overall environment that you're sharing this content in and make sure it's clean, like clean up clutter, even that simple act of clearing out like paper that's sitting on your desk or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. clutter naturally happens in our environment, clean it up before you get there. And then also like look at yourself as being part of that scene too. So I'm always saying like, ladies, put on lipstick and earrings. Like that makes a massive difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like the small things, like you're part of the scene. And then mm -hmm. also like, if you are doing what I was kind of talking about previously, where you're doing primarily those talking head videos, your on-camera presence is going to be huge in the way that someone is engaging with your content. So if you are bored by what you are saying, then so will your audience. They will be bored too. So do like, you find a scripted versus unscripted can help with that? Like I, I know I had hired, oops, sorry, I banged my mic. I had hired a session with a great videographer and my, and I had gone into that fully scripted, wanting a teleprompter. And something happened when I got there and we didn't have a teleprompter and it was too mm. late to pivot. And it was like, oh shit, now I need to just go like off the cuff using obviously my script as a guide. But we almost found it made all the videos better because there was mm -hmm. no reading. It was just much more naturally flowing. So that was my personal experience with um, filming a series of course videos. What's your advice though for your students? Yeah, so the teleprompter question is a big one. Um, I have one of my top ranked videos on YouTube is about the teleprompter and like how to work with the teleprompter and all the things associated with it. 
And a lot of people, they think that that's a great solution and it is in many ways, but it comes with its own challenges. So learning how to have energy and excitement in your voice while reading is challenging. Mm. So that that's its own thing. And so that's why it can seem a lot more boring, I guess, Mm -hmm. if you're doing that or less personable. And then also like when you're doing, using a teleprompter, you might need to have a remote that is able to speed up or slow down the words as they go up on the screen. And because of that, your hands are out of frame using that remote. So you naturally have less hand movement and having hand movement, using, moving your head, your shoulders, that's going to make all the difference in how engaging your content is. Mm -hmm. So that also is going to limit your on-camera personality when you're using a teleprompter as well. So I noticed that with my own videos for sure. But there's also benefits of a teleprompter because then you, you know, you can get, get through the script and you don't have to Mm -hmm. like, you don't ever have to memorize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess pros and cons, it might be worth trying both at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. just to see what feels most comfortable for you or what kind of feedback you're getting on your videos. But certainly having that preparation in advance so that you, like you said earlier in the, in this podcast, you said it's really key to be very clear about what you say, have that really solid game plan, know your takeaways and get to them quickly so that people mm-hmm. aren't wasting their time weeding through all this uh, filler or distraction <laughs> to find yeah. what's important. Which is a good point that you said that too, like keeping your videos short in your courses uh, like I have you found I, a sweet spot? Like, do you see in your course videos, um, a certain appetite for length of courses? Does your software give you that kind of analytics? Um, hmm. like, does it tell you when people drop off or stop viewing within the videos mm-hmm. themselves? Yeah, I don't think it does. No, I always yeah. feel like that would be a really useful piece of information just to find out. Um, I'm not a YouTube person, so I don't know the back end of that as well. But does YouTube give you that? Does it tell you when people drop off? And so what is the sweet spot in YouTube have you found for length of video? I'm putting you on the spot here. (laughs) That's kind of a different question. So uh, YouTube, the number one metric is watch time. Mm. So the longer people watch your YouTube videos, the more boost you're going to get into the in the algorithm. So longer videos on YouTube are actually great if you can retain people's attention throughout it. Mm -hmm. So it should be as long as it needs to be and no longer, essentially. Hmm. So you don't want to be like totally rambling. But I also don't, I don't check how long my videos are and try to make them shorter on YouTube because of that watch time being a big metric. Interesting. So ballpark, do you find people stick with it like five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Does there seem to be like a bit of a average watch time? So there's audience retention is like the average of anyone watching any of the videos. And it does, it's so like, I'll say I aim for like 10 to 15 minutes per, per video Mm -hmm. is kind of the average, but the audience retention is more so like three minutes or two thirty or something like that. Gotcha. But that's because there's people that click on the video. That's not what they're looking for. They click away. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's mm-hmm. counting for all of those. So I would not make my videos ever three minutes on YouTube just because people are watching the full thing. Yeah. Um, so 
Well, and I know like an old rule of thumb, this is going back to like my formal training and education days. It was always a rule of thumb that you try to keep activities around 20 minutes because that tends to be the max that people have capacity for before they're just like, I got to move on from this. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm creating um, a learning experience, let's say it's like a number of days and it's, um, you know, in class, I'll just use that. Um, every 20 minutes, I'm getting people to do something different because it keeps everybody engaged throughout the whole time until the day's over. And they're like, wow, that was great. Like everybody had a chance to um, have their sort of preferred style of exercise or learning style um, tapped into during the course of the day. And I think we can do that in our own courses and in videos. Like you can have a shorter video and send them off to do something to practice something and then have them come back, you know, like you can build in those kind of mechanisms within your video. So yeah, people aren't just listening for a long period of time. Although I will say I love, like, I've always aimed to make my course bingeable. Like that's like the number one thing I want to be able to sell it as a bingeable course and, uh -huh. um, and have people experiencing it that way too. So it is, it can be kind of nice to just be like, boom, 45 minutes, I'm going to watch it. And then I'll take action, you know, like 45 minutes as in like, there might be five or six videos within that yeah. 45 minutes. Um, and then they'll go take action for that week kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so that's an interesting way. But yet you still have broken those videos down into, Most definitely. you know, maybe eight, 10 minutes. So when somebody looks at that video, they're not like, Oh, wow, I've got to commit 45 minutes right now in one session. Right. Yeah. So obviously there's different approaches that are interesting. And I think it's cool to really keep that user in mind and actually do some research with some of your potential learners to see um, how much time they're planning on spending each day working or each sort of learning event. How long are they going to sit there and watch your videos and is this going to work for them? You know, they, they may be like, yeah, I'm carving aside two hours to do your program. Or it might be like, oh, every 15 minutes when I get a chance, I'm going to watch another video. So it's, it does pay to find out how your users are interacting with, with the learning. Absolutely. Um, tell me more about the outsourcing that you are planning for this module, because I think this is um, something that a lot of people listening are going to be interested in. There's a lot of listeners who are um, in the corporate learning space as well, and they don't necessarily film and do their own videos. So mm -hmm. what sort of high level tips do you have for somebody who is seeking out somebody to create their video or um, to edit it, what should they be thinking about? Or what are some red flags that they might want to be aware of? Yes. Okay. This opens up a, <laughs> this can, is loaded. a can of worms. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, so I started outsourcing back in, uh, let's say, probably 2016 with editors and very quickly found out, wow, this is a total nightmare, right? Like mm. You get I was at the time running an agency, like a production company that where I was actually shooting and editing videos for clients and was using outsourced video editing to help me cut down on the hours, save, you know, build in more of a margin in a way. Mm -hmm. And 
especially because I couldn't afford to hire local talent at the time because local talent can be very pricey mm-hmm. compared to someone that's working $6 an hour, $8 an hour in the Philippines. Yes. So I found very quickly that there's a massive need for training editors. And so I started the first time I ever hopped in front of the camera was actually to create an outsource editor training mm. for, for my editors to walk them through my editing process. So I've become, I've refined that, tweaked that, iterated my system hundreds of times between now or then and now to where now this outsource module is like a two and a half hour training for editors to be able to follow the system. Wow. That's cool. Um, I can see huge value in that because even just with this simple podcast, my first four episodes that I've already launched um, I launched as part of the pilot, I outsourced the editing because I thought, you know what, I just want somebody to, to do it for me. And I chose a different editor for each pilot episode. And they mm-hmm. all came back differently with the same instructions. And I hated them all. But I'm like, oh, well, I just put them up anyways, because like, whatever, it's a pilot. Um, so yeah, I should think about creating a little training for the editor because well, I luckily, just want it to be a certain way. <laughs> oh, right. For the podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I think that there's a value between like, so I used to charge, um, I got up to like $200 an hour for shooting and editing with video. And I was really good at what I did and that I, I still did charge hourly up until the end. Like that was kind of my business model, but most people won't be charging hourly. They'll charge you on a flat rate fee, but they'll still mm-hmm. be charging around there depending on their level of expertise. So freelancers are going to be the lowest, build up your way towards boutique agencies and then make your way towards like the the high level agencies, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously the tiered level. And so, and then the outsourcers fall even underneath that freelance videographer. So you're going, you do pay for what you get when it comes to video and each editor is going to have their own system. So when you are hiring someone at six to $8 an hour, you have to train them. You can't Mm -hmm. just expect it to go well, right? Versus if you hire someone that's a boutique agency or even a freelancer, like they'll be able to do things on their own and they're going to have their own systems. And they will hopefully make it better than what you can even envision. You know, that would be the goal is to hire an expert, but you get, you pay, you have to pay for that quality. You pay a significant amount of money. So I created my course because it limited the amount, like the people that could hire me. Yeah. The top influencers, they were able to work with me. But when it came to like my entrepreneurial friends that were like, Hey man, I had this awesome video idea. Like, how do I do it? I'm like, you can't afford me. You know, like like, you're just not going to be able to do it. (laughs) So that's where like my course was born. The DIY video roadmap is like, you know what? You can do this when you have the right steps in place to cut down on expenses in certain places and be able to film it um, and then outsource the video editing. So the alternative is like thousands of dollars to pay someone to do a course for you. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if having, if, if you paid someone, hey, come and, and film my entire course, it could be anywhere from three to 5K, if not higher. Yeah, I would say probably higher, depending on how many videos you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, we've talked a lot about your DIY video roadmap. Roadmap. Oh my goodness. Good Lord. I'm 
having a hard time speaking today, but we've talked a lot about that program and I would like you to tell us when does it open again? Because it is very valuable and it's affordable for people who want to be able to try this themselves and even just have a better background to know the the language to use, to know what to ask for and know um, kind of what they're looking for when working with um, even a video agency. I think it's given me a lot of confidence to know the terminology and get familiar with types of equipment and processes and software that could be used. I hope people will subscribe to your YouTube channel because you put out, you never put out a bad video. They're always amazing. They're always super valuable. And also we'll make sure that um, we direct people to your website so that they can stay in the loop in terms of what you're doing next. Um, I want you to have the last word. Is there any kind of piece of advice or word of wisdom that stuck with you from somebody who taught you that you might like to share with people? And it can be video or not related. Yeah, I would say the main thing is if you're waiting to have clarity, then you are going to be waiting forever. Mm, Just interesting. action comes or clarity comes with action. So you got to put one step in front of the other and realize, oh, that was the wrong step. Um, or, you know, but then there's technically no such thing as the wrong step. You can always adjust and say, uh, I can now go a different direction because of that. So learning how to run forward before you have full clarity, I think is what makes entrepreneurs successful. And I cannot stress the importance of that enough. Well, thank you. That sounds like a quotable. We'll make sure that we include that um, <laughs> in in our um, conversation. So I appreciate your time, Amanda. It has been really great having you on here. And thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge with the listeners here on your Greatest Work podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to pull something really useful out of this episode, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please contact us if you'd like to learn more about anything that we've discussed or if you need help creating your next learning experience. We've got lots of great ways to work together, and I would love to have a conversation to see if it might be the right fit. Also, consider leaving us a review and definitely subscribe so you don't miss out on any interesting topics that could really help you in your journey. 